from Matthew chapter 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the good news. Please be seated. Well, if you were here last week, you heard um, a slightly different version of this story. This was uh, from the Gospel of John that Pastor Josh preached, and it was kind of a, a version of a call story of Jesus' first disciples. This is Matthew's version. It's a little bit different. And sometimes, sometimes the Bible blandly labels this story. You know how the Bible will have like section titles? Kind of blandly labels this story, Jesus begins his ministry. That's nice. Given that and the fact that you've maybe heard this story many times, it might be really easy to just sort of like half pay attention or kind of gloss over all the introductory parts about Isaiah and prophecies and just kind of get to the bit about fishing for people. But friends, the more I've read this story this week, the more I think this story deserves to have a score written for it. It needs some swelling, inspiring music behind it as the drama builds. This story is what other epic stories have been based on. It marks a turning point in the history of the world. So as we begin together today, I want to call to mind for you the original Star Wars trilogy. (laughs) Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings, Hamilton, which I kind of feel like we got a little taste of earlier today. I want you to get into the mindset of those stories, of the intensity of them, of the audacity of a ragtag group of rebels pushing back against powerful forces. The way that they inspire us, the way that they invite us to the edge of our seats. That's where I want you to go. Are you ready? Everybody there? Choose whatever music you need and whatever one of those scores works for you. Hit play. Here we go. It began with an inciting incident. It always does. The unjust incarceration of John the Baptist. John had spoken out against Herod for breaking God's law. Now, this isn't Herod the Great. A couple weeks ago, I preached on Herod the Great who ordered the murder of all male babies and toddlers in an effort to wipe out Jesus. We have different definitions of great. This is Herod the Great's son. He was ruling around the area of Galilee as a a vassal state of the Roman Empire. 
and John had protested Herod's unfaithful leadership and been arrested for it. And in the story, we hear that this seemed to kickstart Jesus' ministry. The attempt to silence John was likely a move by the government to scare people into place, but it had the opposite effect on Jesus. It spurred him to action. Jesus was fired up and ready to push back against the oppression and the injustice of the empire. And this is why it's really interesting to me when people say that Jesus' followers shouldn't mix faith with politics. Jesus was political. His whole ministry was a revolution, which is nothing if not political. He began his mission as a response to Rome, and he was executed by Rome because of it. Now, Jesus will not be co-opted by Democrats or Republicans or any other party, but friends, everything about him was very much political. Jesus was ready to work toward a new kingdom, and that meant it was time to organize, time to recruit, time to get a team to work with him. So where did he go? Matthew says he went to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And to us, that might not seem like anything. We're a little bit removed from that geography and that history, but this is not insignificant. In the Old Testament, these tribes, these lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, remember Jacob's sons, his 12 sons, they all ended up with a tribe of Israel. These two were, were perhaps the most geographically vulnerable. And so as the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel endured power struggles with each other and with other nations, Zebulun and Naphtali were quickly exiled. They were used as pawns by foreign kings. They were taken into captivity the earliest and they suffered some of the worst and most prolonged persecution. The people of Zebulun and Naphtali understood all too well what it meant to be in a land occupied by an oppressive empire. And here they were again in Jesus' day, living the same way, under the heavy hand of Rome. And Jesus began his ministry there, where hope was needed the most, where despair had long been a way of life. He began preaching about a new kingdom and a new way of life. He preached repentance, which means turning away from something and turning back toward God. He preached to a people who were fed up with Rome and would, with the right leadership, be absolutely ready to turn away from it, turn back toward God. Which is perhaps why Simon, Andrew, James, and John left everything immediately, it says, immediately, and followed Jesus. In Matthew, they didn't appear to hesitate or ask questions. They dropped it all and walked away. Two of the brothers even left their father behind, which was absolutely monumental in that culture. TCU instructor Jillian Englehart says this about the fishermen and what their response to Jesus meant. These sets of brothers were likely under contract with the Roman Empire. They would have purchased a lease with Rome's agents that allowed them to fish, but obligated them to supply a certain amount of fish back. So Rome was using them to catch fish to advance their imperialist, imperialist expansion. So the fishermen's actions in following Jesus were a disruption, even if small, to Rome's economic interests. 
by choosing Jesus, the brothers chose God's rule over Rome. They chose to work for God's purposes rather than exploiting their own land for Rome's gain. They chose to join Jesus' ministry rather than to align themselves with the interests of the occupiers. Rome used threat, coercion, incarceration, and violence to get people to fall in line. And yet, with all of that in their faces, Simon, Andrew, James, and John were so inspired by Jesus, by his movement of resistance, that they joined instantly and willingly, making a bold statement and a bold allegiance. Of course, over the course of the story, we find out that they were in for the surprise of their lives when they realized Jesus wasn't going to fight back the way they expected him to. Jesus was ready to push back for sure, but his revolution did not include a coup or a violent overthrow, which of course, where this story veers away from all the ones I mentioned at the beginning. Jesus' plan was to undermine the empire with a grassroots effort. Ushering in the kingdom would be subversive work. He would teach everyone all around him to counter violence with love, to counter power with humility, wealth with generosity, achievement with service, competition with compassion, a constant need for outward approval with the assurance that all are loved and welcomed exactly as they are. Jesus' kingdom would be ruled with mercy and justice and abundant life for everyone. As Columbia Seminary professor Raj Nadella has said, Rome had come to embody death. And Jesus would expose the destructive nature of the empire and demonstrate that death need not be accepted as normal. He would boldly step into a dangerous place so he could lead others to safety. Ultimately, Jesus would destroy the power of death with his own. And just, just when it seemed like the empire had won, Jesus would come back with one more surprise to show those fishermen and many other followers by then that it had been worth it, that love wins in the end. Cue the music, right? I mean, if that isn't one of the most epic stories ever told, I don't know what is. And I watch plenty of television and movies, trust me. Of course, one element of a really great story is that people who are watching it can find themselves in it or reading it. Well, friends, I have some great news for you. Jesus is standing still at our places of work, at our intersections of skill and passion, at our places of despair and hopelessness, and Jesus is still recruiting us to the resistance because the powers that be are still at work in the world. But so is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Professor Nadella reminds us that that phrase that we heard in Matthew, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is near, that Jesus said, the Greek of that suggests that it's more like the kingdom is about to break in but has yet to fully arrive. He says that both John the Baptist and Jesus made that connection between repentance and the arrival of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is a state of affairs that will become a reality when people change their ways and work toward making it happen. So people are asked not so much to, to repent to receive the benefits of the kingdom, but to advance it 
for the benefit of all. People are invited to become agents of transformation. We are invited to discern how we will confront systems and structures that still subject so many to deaths of all kinds. We very much have a place in the story. How will we be part of the revolution of love? How will you and I push back the forces, push back against the empires of this world? What does that look like for you in your everyday life? What do you and I, like Simon and Andrew, James and John, need to just drop immediately and walk away from that doesn't serve the kingdom but is actually serving an empire? Those questions are daunting. But this story gives us some real encouragement, too, as we move forward in our own areas of mission. First, I was reminded recently in a devotional that Jesus didn't discard his disciples' gifts. They were going to keep fishing, just in a different way. So when they followed Jesus, not only did they become more like him, they also became more fully and more freely themselves. How beautiful that when Jesus calls, he's asking us simply to consider what we do well and to just do it with deeper purpose and care and joy. Second, I find it fascinating and hopeful that Jesus called those disciples in pairs, Simon and Andrew, James and John, safety in numbers, comfort in familiarity. Jesus knew He knew their work was going to be challenging and thankless and even dangerous at times. He knew that they'd need support, and he built it into the system. Look around you. We are blessed with people in our lives who help us stay on the course for the kingdom. We have partners. We have teams. We have communities. We are not alone. So let's find our people that spur us on to action and move forward working together. And as we are called to turn, turn away and turn toward Jesus to step in line with his movement, we can trust that even as we head into the unknown, even if we head into something as scary as the heart of the empire itself, Jesus will be there to lead us by his strength, by his love, just like those first disciples. And like them, we will be led to the very end and beyond. So let us go with courage, we audacious, audacious ragtag group of rebels. Hope is on the horizon and Jesus is calling. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you that you call us. We thank you that you find us worthy of your work. What an awesome privilege and a terrifying responsibility. As you call us, also equip us, strengthen us, partner us, nurture us so that we don't go alone, that we might go well and usher in your kingdom for the sake of the world. Amen.